Welcome to the Sideline Podcast. Today is Monday, November 2nd, and it's another big one today. My name is Justin Berger, and I am joined by Doug Watley and Alec Kieser. This time last week, the Chicago Bears were 5-1 and one and the number one seed in the NFC. Today they stand at 5-3 and three and in complete despair. We'll go first to our Chicago correspondent, Doug. Where's the <laughs> confidence at? It's not high at all, and it's a three-part game football is. It's offense, it's defense, and it's special teams, and you need all three to compete and be good in the NFL. The Bears are special in two of those spots, but the offense is probably one of the worst in the NFL, and that includes a lot of bad teams in there. And it's really frustrating because the offensive line, there is are, there are some injuries, so I don't want to be completely disgraceful against them, but it is a big problem when you can't run the ball. And David Montgomery had 89 rushing yards. He had a 38-yard run, but besides that, he was stuck. And it's been a problem this whole season. Nick Foles, I'm going to give out the noodle arm of the week already. Nick Foles deserves it. He His stats aren't horrible, but he was very, very bad in parts of this game when the Bears needed a quarterback to produce, and he didn't do that. 26-23 loss to the Saints in overtime. And it's frustrating for all Chicagoans because the defense is there, and the defense got to stop in overtime. And usually if you get a stop in overtime, you win the game. All you need is a field goal. Bears didn't get that. The offense stinks. Let me counter your pessimism as an unbiased outsider looking in. The Bears lost to one of the best teams in football. The, the Saints are one of the best teams in football. And if you look at the teams that the Bears have lost to, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you the offense isn't the problem because it's obviously the problem. They lost to the Rams last week. They scored 10 points. They lost to Indy um, in week four, and they scored 11 points. So obviously the offense is the problem there. But, I mean, when you're coming up against these teams, yeah, the offense is going to have to make plays, but there there is reason to be optimistic. Allen Robinson probably playing a little hurt, still had a decent game. Very good, yeah. Um, Darnell Mooney starting to emerge. Foles was bad in parts of this game and also really good in parts of this game. So the the like scale is a little frustrating. I know some Bears fans on Twitter were calling for Trubisky, which I mean I I, mean, I don't know. I guess you have really have to stick with your guy. Like I, I who knows to, who to go with in that um, that Bears locker room. But the the pieces are there, and I think if the offensive line gets healthy, then we can see a Bears offense that's actually pretty good. Yes, the pieces are there, and I understand that, but. The frustrating thing for Bears fans is the quarterback situation's been like this for years and years and years, and no Nick Foles is not the answer. No Mitch Trubisky, probably not the answer. But both quarterbacks played just well enough to keep the job, and for my opinion, Trubisky in Week 3, he was 2-0, about to be 3-0. He kept the, or he lost the job, but probably could have kept it. Foles, you look at his stats, 28 for 41, over 250 yards, not bad. Not bad enough to lose the job, but you're not going to win anything come playoff time with this guy as your quarterback. Let's speak generally. If you want to talk about the quarterbacks, go ahead. uh, If you want to talk about the quarterbacks, go ahead, because I I was going to flip to the Bears' defense. I want to talk about the Bears, so this is perfect transition for that, because I want to talk about their defense and the ineptitude of their offense. So the Bears have a minus five-point differential. Winning teams, teams that win championships don't have that kind of point differential. So the defense is obviously putting in the work where the offense can't let's say, even keep them off the field long enough to get them some air. I've talked about this Bears team all season long, and there's games, again, we win we, we win games in the NFL, we don't apologize for wins, but this Bears team, there's two or three games on that schedule that have W's next to them that could have easily been L's. So, in the next couple weeks, 
we will really see what this Bears team is made of. And if it's anything like we've seen in the last two weeks, it's not pretty at all, either with Trubisky or Foles at quarterback. The good news for the Bears fans is that while frustrating, yes, terribly frustrating it is to watch this team, they're never out of any game because this defense is as elite as it comes at every level. They have playmakers along the defensive line, interior and exterior. They rush the passer. At the linebacker level, they cover really well, and they can rush the passer. And then in the secondary, they have great corners at all three spots, and they have good, good smart safeties that hit and tackle very well. And so with the defense like that, you're never going to be out of games, but against offensively charged teams, it's going to be a struggle for them. Yes, and the defense was, once again, very good uh, yesterday. On third down, the Saints only converted twice the whole game, and that's very, very impressive. But we've already known this, and just from a Chicago fan, and obviously I like to be objective, but it's just very frustrating because I know this team can't win one playoff, maybe maybe one playoff game if they fix some things, but I know they're not going to go far in the playoffs. And that's the end goal, and this defense is good enough to do it. I say this every week. It's just the offense, time and time again, doesn't do anything. Here, here's the last point, or yeah, my last point I want to make about the, the Bears' offense that I think the Saints' defense is actually decent. I actually think that they they, they have guys that can get after the, the quarterback. They have linebackers who can cover, and they have cornerbacks who are not afraid to get up in your face and play press. Um, and if you're going to miss down the field like Foles was doing, and you're not going to hit those big shots, then this defense is going to gain confidence and they're going to come after you. And they're going to hit hard. And so I think that playing the Saints at home and putting up the 23 points they did um, wasn't a good performance because you know there was more there. But, I mean, just he hits on one or two of those throws and it's a different game. I mean, I, I'm not changing my guard here. I'm I'm keeping consistent with what I've said the whole season. The Bears do not have the offense to win games consistently in the NFL, and I don't think either of you have agreed or disagreed with me on that. Yeah. Um, but the real question is moving forward because I, I've I've started in my old wise age of the 21st year of my life. You, I look at things more from 35,000 feet. Are the Bears going to win the Super Bowl this year? No. Okay. So we move on to future plans. What happens? with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles because we know in this new age of the NFL, you cannot win a championship if your team does not have a elite or semi-elite quarterback. The last team we saw do that was probably the Ravens with Joe Flacco in 2012. Nick, Nick Foles has one of the best well, playoffs yeah, of all time. Yeah, I know, but he wasn't an elite quarterback. He was elite he just for three well. weeks. Yeah, he was elite for three weeks. So this Nick, Fo- what? Is, so if this Nick Foles gets hot, are we going to say he was elite this year? He was elite for the playoffs. I would say. I, I, so I guess you're right. You're right. But they Carson Wentz in, in uh, argument of that Carson Wentz was elite that season eh, before he was an he MVP was candidate. Yeah, before he got injured, he was an MVP candidate. Either way, whatever. We we have the Bears have to do something here because the defense is aging. Um, they're running out of their win now period. So where do the Bears go from here? Assume like like you said, there's not a Super Bowl at the end of this season. So what happens next season? Given the fact that you're probably not happy with either of your two quarterback options, and you're going to end up with a middle of the road first round draft pick. That's why I'm not optimistic about next year either. Right. Because there's no easy way out of this. You have two quarterbacks that are probably 25 to 35 ranked in the NFL, 
and both of them have shown you what they can do, and it's just not enough to win. So, sure, you can go to the draft, but that guy is not going to be ready for another two to three years, and by then the defense will probably be all gone. So, I don't know. It's tough. The The easy answer to that is hopefully some guy in free agency comes and, and there is a turnaround there, but realistically I can't think that's going to happen. I would like to say to the Bears fans that you've lost to the Saints, the Rams, and the Colts, three elite defenses. You've won the rest of your games. I know it in the, the long term it's not the best outlook, but Nick Foles has proved that you can win a, a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, and also you can never tell with the NFL. And so with a defense of this caliber and the way they can lock people down, if they can get hot, they can make some noise. But, I mean, long term, yeah, you're not happy about your quarterback situation, but you could do a lot worse. But again, I, and I would know we got to wrap this segment up. But I will argue this to the day I die: the Chicago, and I know this was the Trubisky era in the first three weeks, or I guess first two and a half weeks. But the Bears did not win the Lions game, and they did not win the Falcons game. The Lions lost that game, and the Falcons lost that game. The Bears just hung around long enough to take advantage of those two miserable franchises. Absolutely. And by the way. We talked all about the losing team this whole time. I get it. I'm from Chicago. <laughs> it's I like to rant about my teams. The Saints are quietly five and two without arguably the best wide receiver. Arguably, arguably, Argu- arguably. but arguably. top five, whatever. Yeah, he's very talented, and they're still winning games. Obviously, they're not winning them with a lot of confidence from a lot of people. But five and two. And then also we didn't talk about well yeah like the like before the praise, heat praise on the Saints we didn't talk about Mims rocking Gardner I'll talk Johnson. about that later I'll talk okay, about that later we'll talk about that later but all right and then the Saints yeah like you said they're five and two they're missing Michael Michael uh, Thomas who hasn't played since week one like, they, like as much as we want to say Drew Brees hasn't pushed the ball down the field like they're this like this team wins team wins. Yeah, um, I, my 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 book, my page is still open on the Saints. I'm, I'm not ready to commit. Obviously, I know what Drew Brees can do, but you know, time stops for nobody. He's 41 years old, so we'll see how long that uh, that works for him this season. Next week will be a real test for them. Sunday night, I guess this week, Sunday night against uh, the Bucks. So that'll be that'll be a good one. Let's move on and a good one for us. To yes, indeed, um, the Steelers Ravens game. Probably the most anticipated game of the season so far. Yeah, aside um, from Ravens Chiefs in Week Three. Right, right. Uh, Steelers Ravens. Uh, Steelers won twenty eight twenty four. My Pittsburgh Steelers undefeated. This was probably the win that the uh, pundits were looking for on the Steelers schedule so far, because Giants, Broncos, Texans, Eagles, Browns, and then the Titans last week. That was a good one. But the first uh, five games, people were. You know, like, okay, they won, but not not against the cream of the crop of the NFL. So this was definitely good for the Steelers. We know what kind of defense they bring to the table. And Big Ben is doing just enough for the Steelers' offense to get them uh, to get them in the win column. And James Conner, of course, carrying the rock. So, thoughts on this game? For me, it's you talked about the Titans game last week. That was a game where they led the first half and then almost lost the game in the second half. This game, complete opposite. First half, they were horrible. Uh, the time of possession, I think, was like 20 to 10. Ben Roethlisberger maybe at 40 passing yards. James Conner helped him a little bit. But they only scored because of a pick six from Lamar Jackson on the first drive. If that didn't happen, it would be 17 to 0 at halftime. And I don't know if this comeback would have occurred. But with that being said, once again, the Steelers find a way to win. They don't really blow teams out except for the Browns in week five. But they find ways to win. And against a team like Baltimore, who has talent, 
and playing in Baltimore, there's just nothing to complain about for the Steelers. Yeah, well, what are we finding out? We were finding out that the Steelers have an elite defense, obviously. I mean, like you said, they scored on the first play of the drive or first play of the game. Um, anytime you can hold an offense with Lamar Jackson under Coop or like under enough points to win a game, like obviously you're doing a great job. Um, Baltimore also has a pretty good defense, but honestly, I would probably give Roethlisberger the noodle arm of the week. Just <laughs> it's like he has so many talented receivers on the outside, and and it's like he just got playmakers all over the place. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. The Steelers just continue to prove that they have an elite defense, and the quarterback has going to make enough plays for them to be dangerous. And so, no, I. Nobody's going to want to play Pittsburgh. Like, nobody wants to play Pittsburgh. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Uh, 12.5 QBR, if you if you like QBR. Um, not good. Not good by any sense of the means, especially for a MVP. Two interceptions, two touchdowns. Not super effective on the ground. 65 yards, but on 16 attempts. Um what went wrong for the for the Ravens offense this week? They lost their left tackle. And also the Steelers' defense is really good. Uh, Stanley goes down with a brutal injury. Like it, it just didn't look good. Um, so you like, hope he, he uh, ends up recovering okay. He just signed a, an extension, like a $99 million extension or something. Um, so you hope he's got uh, injury protection and stuff like that in there. Uh, but, yeah, uh, they played against a really good defense, and they, they came after Lamar Jackson. For me, I don't think the – Baltimore offense was horrible. I mean, they put up 450 total yards. Right. That almost doubled Pittsburgh. The thing is, they only scored seven points in the second half, and against a team like Pittsburgh who didn't play well in the first half and you knew they would come out second half trying to win this game and try to stay undefeated against their rival, you got to put up more than seven points if you're a good offense like Baltimore can be. All right, so in a game featuring one of the oldest quarterbacks in the NFL, we move to a game featuring – the youngest and maybe the one of the brightest stars in the NFL, Joe Burrow. Probably the I, I'm not going to say probably it is the biggest win of his career so far in the NFL. The Bengals beat uh, the Titans 31 to 20, a game that a lot of people saw as a trap game for the Titans, just because of how close the Bengals have been pretty much every week. And Joe Burrow was not amazing, but excellently effective, throwing for 250 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers. So. This Bengals offense has proved to be really good. Again, we know they have no playmakers on the uh, on the defensive side. They just traded Joe Dunlap, uh, or excuse me, Carlos Dunlap. Um, so they're kind of fire sailing the defense. But this offense has the young stars to get it done. And moving forward, you got to be ecstatic if you're a Bengals fan. Yeah, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, those two, if they stay on this Bengals team for the years to come, can be an electric combination. And then we got a Giovanni Bernard sighting. Yeah. We haven't seen those in years. So I think just the things for this Bengals offense, like you said, they've been knocking on the door. They probably should have won last week against Cleveland, but then Baker Mayfield came back and made a drive, and and they won that game. So for the Bengals, it's very impressive. I don't know. Obviously, they want to win some games to get some confidence. They probably want a high draft pick next year, though, because they know they're not going to go do too well this season. But it's just – Little spurts of optimism for this Bengals team. Yeah, I mean that's a, a, you a hit the nail on the head. Optimism is the word. Like Joe Burrow looks like he's the real deal. He's making plays like even with his legs out in, like in space, making NFL athletes miss. He's dotting up people on the sidelines. He looks to have a really really good connection with T Higgins. T- uh, Boyd's super talented as well. You said we got a Giovanni Bernard sighting. Like yeah, we haven't seen that in forever. 
Um, and he beat a really good Titans team. Like you said, it was probably a trap game for Tennessee um, because how close Cincinnati has been. But like, the Cincinnati offense is really good. And, jo- and Joe Burrow is proving that he was worth the number one draft pick. So the Titans, to juxtapose that because they are the, the playoff team and then tied for first in the AFC South, win the first five games of the season. Now they're on a two-game losing streak against the Steelers two weeks ago or last week. Uh, where they had a furious comeback in the second half but weren't able to get it done. And then the Bengals this week, next week they're playing your Chicago Bears. Um, today, Earlier today they acquired Desmond King from the Chargers, so that'll help them in the secondary. But what's got what's to gotta change for Tennessee? It's not like Derrick Henry ran for over 100 yards yesterday. Ryan Tannehill's been effective. It's really it's looked like the defense, to answer my own question, I guess. So how much does this signing from King help the Titans? Yeah, the, the trade for, for King is going to help them because like the problem is the secondary. Joe Burrow threw all over them. Um, Tennessee was able to just – or Tennessee wasn't able to stop – the Bengals from putting up points. If you're going to be a team that has a good defense, or not, and not elite defense, but a good defense, even you can't be letting up 31 points to the Cincinnati Bengals, whose offensive line is beat to hell. Um, they, like you have to be able to get after a rookie quarterback and force him to make some mistakes, and they weren't able to, able to do that. Zero sacks. I was going to say that zero sacks for the Tennessee defense. Like you just said, the Bengals' offensive line probably bottom five of the league, and yeah. if you can attack and rattle the young quarterback a little bit. He's going to throw because he's got talent. So they didn't do that, and Joe Burrow took advantage. All right, another stunner in the frozen tundra. Vikings-Packers. The Dalvin Cook game, if you had him on your fantasy team, you probably won, and if you were playing him, you probably lost. Thanks, Justin. Um, yep. Yeah, sorry, I didn't know I said that blindly. <laughs> Thank I, you for that. Shots I was, fired. I was yeah. not included. I was. I would, did not have him, All and I did not play direction. him. So <laughs> Jesus. Must be tough for the other booth today. Uh, Kirk Cousins was... I mean, not you can't say ineffective because they won, but it was Dalvin Cook was the offense yesterday for for the Vikings, and Aaron Rodgers just didn't turn it up enough, I guess, at the end there. So, Keys, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's not like Kirk Cousins lit up the the Packers. Both receivers finished under six points in fantasy, I believe, um, if you want to go by that metric. Uh, but, yeah, it was the Dalvin Cook game. I think he finished with, like, 163 total yards, four total touchdowns, uh, and the Packers' defense could do nothing about him. Um, that was the story of the game. And whatever works, you just keep on doing it. And that's exactly what Minnesota did. They only threw the ball 14 times this game. So obviously we've seen Kirk Cousins try to do things this season. He's been unsuccessful with 90% of it. So what do you do? Hand the ball off to the one of the best running backs in the league, three touchdowns, and he also gets another one in the air too. The Packers were without uh, Aaron Jones again today, but it's not like – Jamal Williams is some ineffective running back. He's, I mean, he's just as good in that in that situation for the Packers as a as a passing back mainly. Uh, not the end of the world for the Packers. Every team's going to have a, a fluke game uh, in the course of a season. But you look ahead to in in their schedule. They've got to travel this week to San Francisco, and we've got to talk about what's going on in their locker room right now. Yeah, well, I I, I kind of like just to touch on this game real quickly I just I thought they looked like kind of lazy not not lazy but just like there was a couple times like in the second half where they went for it on fourth down where like they just didn't have to and it kind of was just like oh we'll win this game eventually like we have Aaron Rodgers like it's not going to matter and then all of a sudden they ran out of time and so it was like yeah you like you can afford to like take a loss in the NFL I guess but if you're trying to get the one first round buy it there is this year like, I, 
can't you, lose to the Vikings. You can't be losing to the Vikings at home. And, and especially, in the, like, you can't just be looking as lackadaisical as you did on offense. No points in the third quarter. Eight points in the fourth quarter. Uh, not going to get the job not done. Not going to get it done. Uh, A.J. Dillon. Positive test for COVID. The, Fal- uh, the Falcons. The Packers have a quick turnaround. They play on Thursday night, like I said, against San Francisco. More than likely, I would say, is going to get postponed or canceled just because we don't know what's going on. I don't see how they play this game at all. Yeah. Um, and even let, well, let's let's talk hypothetically like like they are. Um, what uh, we saw what the 49ers did and we're going to get to them because they looked anemic this weekend. But what, what do the Packers have to do to turn this around in such a quick spot? Well, first of all, this is. Like yesterday, Scott Hansen opens the broadcast by praising the NFL's COVID testing policy because nobody tested positive yesterday. Well, what like what do you know? This morning, like Marlon Humphrey tests positive, yeah. AJ Dillon tests positive, like a couple guys test positive, and it was like, hold, like, wait a second, like you think back to yesterday, and oh wait, I watched AJ Dillon catch a couple balls and carry the ball a couple times. Like I know Marlon Humphrey played in in the Steelers game, like. These guys were in like at practice. They were around the rest of the guys. They covered the the other team. They were tackled. Like, uh, like at some point there was contact. And the way this virus translates, like we don't even know how it translates. And so, to to even have those athletes be in a spot to be around the team when they have when they tested positive for the virus that the NFL is trying so hard to prevent from happening is troubling. For me, it's just always going to be a fluid situation for everything. And the thing about coronavirus, and we can I don't want to get too deep into it, but you just got to be willing to adjust, and you can't just say it's not going to happen. you got to be knowing what to do in situations like this. And I think the NFL in that situation has it under control because some player is going to get coronavirus, and it's going to be, it's going to be a problem. It's, it's been a problem for the whole nation. So the NFL just has to know, all right, it's not likely that this game's going to be played Thursday. They got to be thinking now, which I'm sure they are. How do we move forward? Uh, fluid, I think, is is a good word to describe that. Um, and like we we said, we won't know anything for a couple of days. Uh, what's going on with schedule wise? Um, move on to the Dolphins and the Rams. I I don't know if I've been more proud of a team that I don't care about than the Dolphins just because of how much I love Brian Flores. This was a huge win for the Miami franchise, especially considering the two attack of Iloa was the starting quarterback this weekend. And I know his stats didn't light it up, but still, it was I mean, this was the Dolphins defense game. So but still, Tua wins his his first game as a starter. Dolphins moved to four and three in a division that is now gettable because of how bad the Patriots are. And because of you don't know what Bills team is going to show up every week. So Doug, talk to me about this this Finns team. It's a great win, none, no doubt about it. They scored twenty eight points. Tua didn't play great. The thing is, when Tua starts, if they win games, awesome. They're they're giving their quarterback confidence. If they lose games, it's really not the end of the world because this is his rookie year. He's really not supposed to be in this early, but now that he is, give him some experience. For me, though, this game was about the Rams and how poorly Jared Goff really played and he had two bad picks and for me I just don't think this Rams team can go very far it's kind of like the Bears Ram the Goff is a little bit better than Trubisky and Foles I get that but 
as long as he's his quarterback, I don't think this team can win many games in the postseason. Well, he can't turn the ball over two times like he did. But it's not like he had a terrible game either. He threw for over 300 yards. I just The Dolphins scored on defense. They scored on special teams. Um, Tua did enough to score on offense. Um, it, like the, the Dolphins look energized. They're a team with talent. They're coming together. They have a really good coach, as we've been preaching for two years now. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Tua has the talent to get it done in the NFL. And as he, as he plays more, it's going to slow down for him. And he's going to be really, really good. I don't know how far he can take them this year, but... They're going to really see what they have over the next three weeks, or not three weeks, the rest of the season. But I really think this was more so the Rams kind of overlooking what this Dolphins team could do because we know the offensive line for the Dolphins isn't great. And they came after him, the the Rams' defensive line. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just I think this is more so the Rams coming off a big win against the Bears um, and kind of looking ahead to the Seahawks matchup next week. And so I was uh, going to say it does not get easier for the Rams. They've got the Seahawks next week. Then they go to Tampa. Then they've got San Francisco. Then they go to Arizona. I mean, they got the Patriots and they stink. But they got the Seahawks again and they got the Cardinals again at the end of the season. You mix in the Jets with that, there's a win. But still, this schedule for Los Angeles is heating up and they're going to be playing their most difficult games of the season. Considering the fact that you got to play the Cardinals and the Seahawks for four of your remaining games, it does not get easier for the Rams. And the Sean McVay lust maybe kind of falling off in Los Angeles. Well, you also have to keep in mind, we mentioned this in previous episodes, but their four wins that started the season came up against the horrible NFC East, and they beat the Bears where they actually looked good in that game, but the Bears, obviously, as we can see, not a top five, top ten team in the NFL. So the, when you play in the hardest division in football in the NFC West, you're going to have to win big games. I think they can win some of them, but there's just too much competition for them to go very far. Yeah, and not to blame it on the schedule because you can't make excuses for a team, but it's not like the schedule has been very kind for them. Keep in mind they're in Los Angeles. They open the season at Dallas. Or no, they open the season at home. Then they go to Philly. Then they go back home. They go to uh, Buffalo. Then they play the Giants at home. Then they go to D.C. Then they come back home, go to San Francisco. Then they're back home. Then they fly across the country again. They play Miami. This is the game they lose. So they're doing a ton of travel. It doesn't get any easier. They're back home to play the Seahawks. Then they have to fly back to Florida to play Tampa the next week. And so they're they're doing a lot of jumping across the country. And so that's another thing to keep an eye on. Does this make Tua the starter for the rest of the season in Miami? As soon as they named him the starter, he was the starter for the rest of the year. You can't. I mean, unless he gets hurt um, or or looks so bad that like, it, it, he can't. Like, he would have to look. So lost for them to make the move back to Fitzpatrick that it, like, uh, like you would know. you would just know you would know. Same. All right, let's move on to the Bills Patriots because I want to save talking about Fitzpatrick for later. Uh, see, uh, excuse me, Bills Patriots. I mean, I am I have and will continue to dance on Cam Newton's metaphorical football grave. He, it's so bad. It's and I, I know, I know the Patriots have seven players that opted out of COVID or for because of COVID, and I know they're banged up, but they are two and five. They still play for the greatest coach of all time in the NFL, and they put up they they put up this kind of offensive performance. Are you kidding me? What is wrong with New England? And again, we're talking about the losing team first, but it just seems to be a trend on the sideline podcast. Talent wins games. I think that's like I mean it's like. Just how competitive the Pats will be, not only in the pre- their previous schedule, but for the rest of their schedule and for the rest of the games they play this year. Like, 
just when you if you have a second and you really care about football, just take a look at the roster and, and the pieces they're dealing with, um, and just kind of understand what like Belichick is trying to do. Like the scheme is there, like the the plays are there. It's just like sometimes the execution's not. Um, I don't think I, I don't know if it's time to press the panic button on the Bills because of how good of a coach Bill Belichick is. But I mean, the Patriots just don't have the talent this year. Yeah, they don't have the talent, but they had a very good chance to win this game. And if this result ended differently, there'd be a little bit of a different outlook on New England. And it's just one mistake by Cam Newton, and obviously that's got to be addressed. But they pretty much played a 5-2, a and two, now 6-2 and two Buffalo team pretty even. So I'm not going to go on this train where saying the Patriots are a full-blown disaster. Like you said, they're 2-5 and five right now. They're really not playing well, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But you got to understand some context, and obviously football is a game of inches, and obviously this one they, they did lose by one turnover in the fourth quarter. Yeah, no. and again, as an un, as an unbiased person from the outside and somebody who does follow a lot of people on Boston Twitter, they do think it's a dumpster fire, obviously, because they're so used to winning. But right. it's really not. Like, it's not. Like, you have the they or not you. They have the best coach in football. Like, they have the best coach in football. They have the pieces that are coming back. They have good pieces still in place. Um, you know they're going to make good decisions in, in free agency and potentially in the draft. And so, like, the, the Patriots can suck for a year. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Do you move on from Cam Newton at the end of the season? It is a one-year contract. Yeah, Bill Belichick is notorious for trying to see what he has in guys. Like, he took a shot on Newton. If Newton looks like he do, did in the first three weeks, um, at some point in the rest of the season, they'll probably keep him around. But if he continues to look the way that he's looked and, and shown the inability to, to throw the ball, then no, they're not going to keep him around. Bill Belichick does not, is not known for getting rid of players too late. In fact, he's known for getting rid of them probably slightly too early or right before their decline. Yeah, I agree. They still have Stidham, and the Patriots obviously like him. Um, Cam Newton was just a fill-in to see if he still got anything left in the tank. Did a couple weeks, didn't a couple weeks, so I don't think he'll stay long. Okay, let's move on to... Seattle Seahawks beat the 49ers 37 to 27 and uh, that really didn't tell the story of the game because the 49ers scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. Um, this game was all Seahawks Russell Wilson probably moving back into first place of the MVP race. So Doug, let's get your let's get your thoughts on the 6 and 1 Seahawks Alec Keezer's 6 and 1 Seahawks. Let's hear about it. This is what we've known about this team, and they played one bad game a week ago. Whatever. This, and it wasn't even a bad – sorry to interrupt, but it wasn't yeah. even a bad game. It was The, the Cardinals outplayed them. Exactly. And yeah. that's, that's what happens when you play in the NFC West. It's not easy to win games. But this talent on the offense is crazy. You still have DK Metcalf. Just a week ago, Tyler Lockett was the one that goes off for, what, was it three, four touchdowns? He 200. 200 yards. Yeah. yeah. Three touchdowns. Crazy. And now it's DK Metcalf. He's got – his turn now, 12 receptions, 161 yards, two touchdowns. So for them to have options like that, and sure, the rushing game wasn't great, but they're missing Carson, obviously, and you have the MVP in the league. I mean, are they top? got to be one of the top favorites for the Super Bowl, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, the more we watch football, the more we start to, to learn and kind of reinforce the things that we already thought we knew. Um, what do we know? They have an elite offense with one of, the one of if not the best quarterback in football and two of the best wide receivers in football or tandem and one of the best tandems in football. Um, the defense can't stop anybody as evidence 20 points in the fourth quarter. I know they probably gave up because they were up so many points. But, I mean, yeah, they it was a, de- a demolition. Um, I can't, like San Fran is so sometimes like – if Jimmy G looks healthier, feels healthier, I don't know. Then like they look good, and if 
you beat them up a little bit, then they just fall apart. So the offense was terrible with Jimmy G, and then he injured his ankle again. It's that same high ankle sprain that he had the first couple weeks. What the 20 points came from is the Nick Mullins offense, which we've had this, not this argument, but this conversation probably a month ago we had it. Is is Nick Mullins or C.J. Beathard a better option for this 49ers team? And we saw that offense come to life. Sure, it probably points a little bit to the Seahawks giving up, not giving up, but, you know, loosening up a I mean, little bit in the, the Seahawks fourth quarter. Defense, like, we know the Seahawks defense isn't very good, and so it doesn't surprise me in the fourth quarter of a blowout game to see them give up 20 points. But Nick Mullins is going to be the quarterback for this team for at least, if they play next week against the Packers, at least next week and maybe beyond that. So what does that look like for this team that came in with legitimate Super Bowl aspirations again this year? It's not going to go anywhere. I don't see I don't see this Niners team going anywhere. I didn't really see them repeating what they did last year, especially with all the injuries they started the year with. Uh, now George Kittle isn't 100% yeah. healthy. He got hurt. Garoppolo's hurt. It's one of those seasons where it's a bad situation. You're in a tough division. You're getting hurt a lot. It's a crazy season with everything else going on. There's just no future for the 49ers this season. Well, I mean, at the moment, like you look at this 49ers roster coming into the season, and who are your top four playmakers? Mostert? Debo Samuel, I mean, actually, it's Kittle, Kittle Mostert, yeah. Samuel, and Garoppolo, and all four of them are hurt. It's one of those seasons. You, yeah. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, it looks like they really have something in Brandon Ayuk. Like, he's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and, it, like, yeah, but uh, they're hurt. All right, with that, well, we'll talk about hurt because we're going to talk about Sunday Night Football now. Eagles, Cowboys, just a disaster. Yeah, that hurt me. Some Somebody had to win. But uh, as Al Michaels has has been saying, but the Cowboys fall to two and six. I don't know how they're going to win a game the rest of the season if Ben DiNucci is going to be quarterback, which is why I wanted to save talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick until now. If you're Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, how have you not already called the Miami Dolphins and said, we'll write you a blank check for Ryan Fitzpatrick? Because they think that Andy Dalton's going to come back next week and it'll be okay. Do you think Andy Dalton's a better option than Ryan Fitzpatrick? No, but they don't have to give up anything to get Andy Dalton. They already have him. And so if you think Andy Dalton's good enough to, to win with, which honestly, if they have Andy Dalton this game, they'd probably beat the Eagles because the Eagles are terrible. <laughs> the Eagles are so bad. And, and obviously, anytime you can make the Cowboys defense look that good, like, oh, my God, the the, the alarm should be ringing in Philly. I would be I would be losing my mind if I was an Eagles fan. Yeah, but also you have to think about their situation. Both teams are injury-plagued. Both teams are in a bad division. Both teams realistically have a chance to make the playoffs. But to answer your question about Fitzpatrick, I don't think Jerry Jones thinks this team's going to win, with obviously, without Dak Prescott. So this season for them, sure, you can make the playoffs, but you're going to play someone good and you're going to lose. Yeah. So I might just be a little bit of a placeholder just to get some snaps for Danucci, see if he's got anything in the tank. Go back to Dak next year and hopefully start over, start fresh, and reach those expectations that they had this season. They cannot start Ben DiNucci again if they no. have any intention of winning a football game. He like he like he just. They, it was bad. It, it was, was so bad. it was really bad. Uh, I don't. They showed the guy who's the fourth stringer, I guess, who's some yeah, CFL guy, like that. I mean, I, I don't know. It Cooper Rush. No, no, it was Cooper Campbell Cooper, something like that. He had like two first names or two last names. Um, whatever. It, it, it's a it's a dumpster fire. The division is terrible. I think the Reds, or excuse me, the football team are the best team in that division, like talent wise. 
Um, but any, anybody can win. The Eagles won this game by two touchdowns, but it was it was it should have been so much worse than that. Yeah. Like this this felt like a seven to five final. Yeah. Well, the the good news for Philly is they have something in Travis Fulgham. He's really good. Um, and the the defensive line is is really good too. Um, and they can they have Slay who can take a number one receiver out of the game. The problem is they can't do anything else about any other piece of the the opposing offense. And so, I um anytime either of these two teams play a team that's any good, they're gonna lose. Right. And when I, they play yeah. each other, then it they're like, you're probably right. Like Washington's probably the best team if Chase Young's healthy. If he's not, then it's probably Philly, and Dallas still might win the division. I got nothing. This game stunk. <laughs> All right, well, let's quickly quickly wrap up the rest of the league. Um, we had the Seahawks – or excuse me, we already talked about that. We had the Browns. Uh, bad week, six points. OBJ's out for the season. Are we are we chalking this up to a fluke, or is this a trend that's going to be with the Browns for the rest of the season? Uh, two things. One, the weather was absolutely horrendous in this game, um, so I feel bad for anybody who started Baker Mayfield field at quarterback this week in fantasy including me i wouldn't um, do that send your prayers i didn't check the weather <laughs> i didn't check the weather check the weather um no but i mean i think what like the browns did we think they were like, going to be one of the best teams in the nfl this year did we think they were going to be one of the worst teams in the nfl this year did we think they were going to be middle of the pack like i the browns what can, do you think i just i think the browns can beat anybody but they can lose to anybody as well and i think if like i think um lost i was going to call them uh um, Oakland. Oakland, yeah, but Las Vegas is the same way. Like they could beat anybody in football, like they proved they could do with Kansas City, but like they could easily have lost this game as well. So I think, I don't know. Like it, it, this week is what it is. Like I, I don't, I don't feel confident in either team anyway. This is a big one for Los Angeles. Uh, gets them above five, or excuse me, Las Vegas. Um, it gets them above five hundred and keeps them in that playoff hunt. Obviously, a road any road win in the NFL is a good win. So for Cleveland, probably I'm, I'm leaning towards the fluke side. I think what you said, uh, th- this is a team that can win any game in the NFL but also lose games that they probably should win. So uh, I'll chalk that up to that. Also, these two teams, I think, are 7th and 8th in the AFC right now, so this game could mean something come playoff time. All right, Drew Locke, Justin Herbert, uh, a battle of two quarterbacks who I really love. I talked about young quarterbacks already with uh, Tua and Joe Burrow earlier this this podcast, but Justin Herbert and Drew Locke, I've been on Drew Locke train since he was at Missouri. I love his arm. I love his demeanor. Justin Herbert was a guy who I thought was going to be a bust. I hated that pick for Los Angeles. I hated him at Oregon. I don't trust Pac-12 quarterbacks that much, but watching him in the NFL, absolutely love Love watching him play. In love with how he plays. I love the Chargers. I've always loved the Chargers because I love Philip Rivers. But this was a really exciting game, to be honest with you. Uh, came down to the wire. The Broncos scored with like six seconds left to take the lead, kick the extra point, won the game. Great game. Great for the future of football. Uh, Broncos hanging around, like you said, that that last playoff spot. They're probably tenth in the AFC, but not dead, considering we're only halfway through the season. Where where's our head on the future of the NFL quarterback wise? Considering we're going to be losing Brady, Roethlisberger, Rivers, uh, Breeze in the next couple of years, so we got to have a new generation come through. Well, I was I was pretty high on Drew Locke coming into the year um, and like pre injury, but I post injury didn't know what really what we we're going to get because so I was going to chalk it up to like kind of a lost year for the Broncos. You know, I had the Von Miller injury on defense. 
Um, but they still have playmakers at every level. And if Drew Locke's going to play like he did in this past game, and he kind of showed that Drew Locke is that dude, then they have a ton of playmakers on offense, even with the Cortland Sutton injury at wide receiver. They have two talented running backs. They have a really, really good tight end in Noah Fant. Um, if Drew Locke's going to play like that, then this can be a, a sneaky, dangerous team that, that might upset some people. Yeah, but at the same time, every time they play a great team, which is the Chiefs and the Steelers, Bucks, Titans so far this season, they lose. When they play a bad team, Jets, Patriots, Chargers, they win. So they're right in the middle of the pack. My takeaway from this game is, once again, the, the Los Angeles Chargers, another blown lead lost. And it's 21 points this game. I think it was 24-3 to three at one point. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, it's tough to see that because this team has talent, but... They should be a lot better than what their record shows. Yeah, this is another team that looks exactly like Cincinnati to me. Like, super, super talented on offense, fun rookie quarterback. Um, who, And like I keep, continue to say, I was completely wrong about Herbert. He's a stud. Um, yeah, super talented on offense and not very good on defense. Yeah, and that's just a trend in the NFL, pretty much the opposite of the Chicago Bears, I would say. Uh, let's talk about Monday night football. Uh, it's going to be terrible, probably. Giants, Bucks. Just a quick thought from each of you on what we're looking forward to tonight, uh, about five hours from now. I am wearing my Giants windbreaker in studio, so again, I, it's like rattling every time I move. So I apologize if that shows up on the podcast. But I think, I think the that Tampa is going to crush them. I think it's going to be an absolute mauling. But it's still Monday Night Football, and I'm definitely going to watch. So same thing with me. This this game for Monday Night Football is not great. Tampa was a good team; they should destroy them. Giants. Once again, not great. I mean, and I, uh, to be honest, anytime you put a brand like the like the Giants, and then you have the history of the Giants with Tom Brady, like people are gonna watch. So uh, yeah, I, and I think that's probably what they were thinking before the season. But again, Monday Night Football has had like a slew of weeks in a row where it's just been bad games Terrible. after bad game after bad game. All right, let's move to college football. Another big win for the Indiana Hoosiers, moving to 13th in the AP poll. Uh, I, I don't know, let's say squeaked one out against Rutgers. I mean, they won by 16, but it felt closer than that the entire time. But a road win in the Big Ten is a road win in the Big Ten, especially against a newly invigorated Rutgers team. So where are we feeling after two weeks heading into probably the biggest game in Memorial Stadium in a long time for Indiana? I feel really good about the Hoosiers. I mean, uh, go, like you have to travel to Rutgers and you have to win a football game. And you know they just beat Michigan State, who and Michigan State beat uh, Michigan. And so like, you have to take this Rutgers team seriously, and Indiana went in. And if you, they, like we said, if they want to be a good football team and they want to make some noise this year, you have to win football games like this. You have to beat Rutgers. They beat Rutgers. Yeah, we saw Penix's rust last week. He looked a lot better this week. He ran a lot more this week, too. Had a touchdown on the ground, a QB sneak, but also threw the ball, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. So a great game by him. The running backs were good. Stevie Scott had a couple breakout runs. Samson James had one, but the thing for me is the defense, three picks, four sacks, two by the cornerback in Taiwan Mullen, and only gave up twenty under 250 yards to this Rutgers team. And we know they're not supposed to be a great team yet in college football in the Big Ten, but like you said, this team is some juice after that last win. So for them to calm down, and after Indiana's biggest win in who knows how long, for them to show up and win this game was very big. Definitely a trap game. We talked about this last week. Uh, you know, coming off the highs of the Penn State win and looking ahead to the Michigan game, which is this week. So great for Indiana. Uh, Doug, the defense. We talked about this 
before the season started, we knew what Indiana had in the offense. You know, if Pinnock shows up, Stevie weapons like Stevie Scott, Hendershot, Wap Fillier, Fry Fogel, we know what the Hoosiers have on the offensive side of the ball. The defense was the question mark, but again, I'm going to say his name every week until he gets a head coaching job. Kane Womack, I think, is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and we know what Tom Allen does in the locker room. So, three picks on defense. You mentioned the four sacks. Very happy with the way Indiana's defense has played so far. Even though, again, 21 points to Rutgers, people may be like, oh, it's not great. They still controlled the tempo. And that fluke last play, we're not even going to talk about it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it shows, a, it shows a, a, a great mentality from Indiana because we keep saying we highlighted this is a trap game and they were able to, to take Rutgers seriously. Like You could tell the defense was taking the, the, that, that offense seriously and it showed. All right, another Big Ten game. Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, college game day this week. Penn State moves to 0-2. I don't want to talk about the game um, because I'm sure everybody watched because it was on ABC in primetime. So I want to talk about storylines. First of all, they play in Happy Valley, one of the, when, you know, in a normal year, one of the best home field advantages in college football. Both of these teams actually have one of the best home field advantages in college football. Does this game turn out differently if Penn State has 110,000 people screaming Loud and proud. Most likely this would have been the whiteout game for Penn State this year. So yeah. does the crowd make a difference in this game in a normal year? Does it make a difference in the game? Yes. Does it make a difference in the result of the game? No. Um, would we probably have seen a couple more big plays or like a couple more errors? Maybe. But I, I, I don't I, I don't think Penn I don't think this Penn State team had what it took to beat Ohio State anyway. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It would have made some difference. It might have been a little bit of a closer game, but Justin Fields, man, talk about an MB, or a, a Heisman candidate. Once again, only six incompletions, over 300 yards, four touchdowns. This Ohio State team, it doesn't even need to be said because it's obvious, but they're definitely a national championship contender. Yeah, I think we can certainly say the better team won. Um, Penn State, that's, that's where I'm taking this discussion. James Franklin. I'm getting very similar vibes to the Harbaugh situation, which we are going to talk about. Uh, Franklin is 0-2. Penn State is now unranked. The brand itself at Penn State sells itself. It's not like James Franklin has to recruit extra hard like Tom Allen because Penn State's brand is way much, way much, way better than Indiana. I can't speak today. Um, how short is James Franklin's leash going forward. I know it's a weird year and people don't want to fire their coaches because of money and, and stuff like that, but I mean, you're Penn State. You got to be expecting to do better than this. It's sure you can say that they shouldn't be 0 2 right now. Obviously, they're an inch away in week one against IU. This week two, you're playing Ohio State, one of the best teams in the country. It's not that short. I mean, I, I want to see how they do in future weeks and see how they can do against teams that they should beat. Um, so for that, I don't think it's that bad. And, you know, this Penn State team, it's not a bad team. They just played two good teams too. Yeah, uh, I can completely echo what Doug said. I don't think there's, like, a short leash at all. Um, they lost to, by in, by inches to Indiana. They lost to a national con, uh, title contender in Ohio State. Um, I, there's no fires starting yet for Franklin. I just, they, he lost to two good teams. I do, I do see what you say about the Harbaugh comparison because Penn State's a national should be a national contender based on their history. Right. So for them not to win one of these games makes a lot of Penn State fans angry. And I like both Jim Harbaugh and James Franklin as coaches. What James Franklin did at Vanderbilt, winning nine games twice 
uh, at Vandy is one of the most impressive head coaching things that's happened in college football in my lifetime because Vanderbilt is a dumpster fire of a program, and for him to be able to do that in the SEC is incredible. But you look at his record as the head coach of Penn State, and you don't count the first two years because they were fresh off of the Sandusky bowl ban and uh, the scholarship ban. So they went 7-6 and six for the first two years of his head coaching career. But 2016 is when they turned it up. Remember that awesome Rose Bowl against USC? But they didn't win that game. They went 11-2 and two the next year. They won the Fiesta Bowl, but they didn't win the East. They haven't won the East under uh, James Franklin except for the year they lost to USC in the Rose Bowl. And two years ago, they had a disappointing 9-4 and four season. And last year, again, a Cotton Bowl win. But that's, that's not what they want. They want national championships. They want to be included in the playoff. And they haven't made the playoff under James Franklin. So I guess that's where where my point was about him. And we're going to talk about Harbaugh uh, in, in a few minutes. But I'm uh, my, my leash may be a little bit shorter than your guys is because of that. I just, where do you go then? That's that's the problem. It's like you you fire a guy, and I talked about this with Dan Quinn earlier in the season. Like, all right, let's fire this guy because we're pissed. But, like, who's out there that's better than James Franklin? The problem is you you expect more out of your guys. So, it's it's uh, it's a double-edged sword, I guess. It's a frustrating spot for Penn State. Yes, fans. indeed it is, because Joe Paterno's not coming out of not coming out of the tunnel anymore. Uh, Maryland, no. Minnesota, shocker. Talia Tagavailoa, ever heard that last name before? They upset Minnesota. I, I mean, I guess it's an upset. Minnesota has looked terrible in both of their first two games. Can, all right, can we say that that Minnesota's actually bad? Michigan's bad too. If you would like to, if, yes. if, if I'm okay Indiana with that. wins easily next week, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I, I can say we're expecting way more from this Minnesota team, and and like, I. To his brother, Talia Tagovailo looked fantastic in this game. Real coming out party for him. He was slinging the ball all over the place. Maryland showed they have talent on the outside of receiver like they always do. Um, but yeah, they're like we like I, at least I expected way more out of Minnesota. Minnesota cannot stop the run. Maryland had over 200 rushing yards, but at the same time, Minnesota. This game went into overtime. Minnesota scored in overtime. Scored a touchdown but just missed an extra point. So right. this result, like obviously, game of inches. This result could have been flipped around. Minnesota's 1-1, one and one, and you move on to the week three and, and go from there. So I don't think this Minnesota seems horrible. I just think Maryland played very, very well and, and won a game at home. Instead, the boat is sinking and people are mad at P.J. Fleck. But <laughs> just a couple notes. Uh, Jake Funk, all-time name. Maryland's running back, 216 yards on the ground, one touchdown. So obviously great uh, for Maryland. I, I love... Uh, not this year, obviously, because I think they're they're going to be terrible. Uh, but I love this Maryland team going forward. Obviously, you got Talia and his eligibility, but also Mike Loxley's the head coach. He was a, he's a Saban guy, offensive coordinator for Alabama during a national championship year. So I think the future is very bright at Maryland. Uh, we talked about Michigan. Let's talk about that game. Michigan State upset Michigan, and again another game where the score does not tell the story. This game was dominated by Michigan State the entire day in Ann Arbor. Rocky Lombardi, maybe the only guy with a better name than Jake Funk. Tough, tough, tough if you're a Wolverines fan. Shale Levy, do not listen to this <laughs> portion of the podcast. Um, yeah, uh, Rocky Lombardi looked fantastic, but, I mean, he was throwing it up to Ricky White. who I mean, Ricky White 
was making some of the like most absurd 50-50 ball catches you'll see from wide receivers on a consistent basis. Like Lombardi was just, they were getting pressed man the entire game, and Lombardi was just dropping back and hossing balls up there, and his his studs at receiver were just going up and coming down with it. Um, Ricky White made two or three like fantastic, fantastic catches, and also the penalties were a huge part of this game. Michigan likes to play a, a very tight, like, touch-grab type of defense, and they were getting boned for it in this one. Michigan State, we talked about it last week, they just fumbled the ball and threw the ball to the other team last week. It was a wake-up game for them. It would, I think it was like the five-year anniversary of the Michigan State upset win over Michigan, too, when, with the fumble. So for this to come full circle, Michigan State really looked good in this game. We, we were ripping on them last week, but you have to also understand, one game does not show how a team is going to do the yes. rest of the season, so... That's a big takeaway. I uh, Yes, I did call Michigan State the worst team in the Big Ten. Yeah. <laughs> I will stick by that because I, Rocky Lombardi played like the best game of his career uh, two days ago. But it's not like Michigan played poorly, at least offensively. Joe Milton was effective. Um, he didn't throw for any touchdowns, but their running game is where they got all their scores from. Uh, uh, it was just a bad game, like you said, Doug and Alec. It was just a sloppy game defensively. A lot of a lot of uh, penalties that led to uh, Michigan State getting to control the time of possession. And also, if you want, like, I think we probably all overreact, and I think you're still overreacting about this Michigan State loss to Rutgers because if you think about it, you get the the like post COVID schedule, and you see Michigan as number two on your schedule, and Rutgers is number one, and you're Michigan State. I mean, I could see how you can overlook a Rutgers team who you're not expecting to come out with the type of fire they did under Shiano. So, I mean, I don't know. I I, I like the Hoosiers. And, <laughs> and the fact that we've opened up as an underdog at home is unbelievable. Can, I've already took us at plus three and a half. Just, yeah, let's preview that one. It got, it's been flexed yet again. It is now the – it's still a noon game, but it's on ABC and ESPN2 now instead of FS1. So more national uh, telev- television for the Hoosiers. Very exciting. Plus three, like you said. I, I, I think that's really discounting the skill of Indiana and the home field advantage of our 1,000 families. So <laughs> uh, I, I'm ecstatic. I think they have a real chance. And if the defense plays the way they did in the first two weeks – I don't know why you wouldn't pick Indiana. Yeah, you're completely right. But also, Michigan coming off a loss, they have some energy. They know they're a better team than what they played like last week. But Indiana, for their side, keep on winning games, game by game. Tom Allen will get them focused and, and just keep chugging forward. We're a good football team. Yeah, and I think people people need to like say that to each other. Indiana is a good football team. Uh, this This team has done everything they've needed to do in the first – couple weeks of the season and it only gets better after the season so this is just the beginning of something beautiful in Bloomington I would be remiss if I did not mention our former love Peyton Ramsey leading the Northwestern Wildcats they are 2-0 this season so far Peyton didn't have a great game yesterday but it was true smash mouth Big Ten football a 21-20 victory over the Iowa Hawkeyes so shout out Peyton Ramsey we only want the best for him Let's move to the ACC, a little Southern football. What a weird one in Clemson. Boston College versus Clemson. BC was leading the entire game, and Clemson came back with, I don't know how to say his name, I'll be honest, a DJ Ugalele. 
Um, you got closer than I would. He's their backup quarterback. He's. I mean, it's not like they just found him on the side no, of the street. He's a crazy five star. talented five star. Um, I, I like what I saw from this kid in the second half. Austin College, I, I've liked. I don't know if I've verbalized it, but I've liked them this whole season. They got a scrappy offense and one of the, a surprising one of the best defenses in the country. So, not. You know, a good place to be if you're Boston College. Obviously, you would like to score more than zero points in the second half. But for Clemson, this this was a huge win for Clemson, considering the fact that they're going to have to play Notre Dame next week in Notre Dame against uh, the fourth-ranked team in the country without Trevor Lawrence, who tested positive for COVID. Um, we did gloss over that, but Trevor Lawrence was out last week and was out, will be out this week because he tested positive for COVID, and that's the ACC policy that he's got to sit for those amount of days. So... What do we think about this game? And then I want to look forward to next next weekend because that is the best game of the season so far. Well, I mean, I mean, I think trap game has been the theme of this podcast so far. But you take Clemson, who once Trevor Lawrence tests positive for COVID, they they understand the rules. They know how long he's going to be out for, and so I uh, I can see how they can start kind of look like the team can start kind of looking ahead to to a Notre Dame matchup, which is going to be top four. Um, but yeah, they they survived. They made enough plays. They obviously have the playmakers. It sucks to lose the number one draft pick, um, especially to, to the coronavirus. But it's not like you said they're not replacing with like Joe Schmo. Um, they're replacing with another five star. And so this is still a super talented Clemson team. And, and Notre Dame still probably will open up as the underdog. Yeah, I mean the final score doesn't really surprise me all that much. You Boston College, a good team. They're just lost to a better team in Clemson. They have more talent. There's nothing really that shocked me all that much in this game. I want to give a quick shout-out in this game, too, to a buddy of mine. Max Richardson plays for Boston College. He is second in the NCAA in tackles. He plays linebacker, fifth-year senior from Woodward Academy. Shout-out, Max. Hit 11 solo tackles two days ago. Keep it up, boss. Uh, Let's continue with next week. At Notre Dame, on NBC, 7.30, Mike Tirico on the call. This is a big one. Either way, you think, especially with the UNC lost, lost, they were upset by UVA. So UNC is probably out of the ACC championship picture. This year, the way the ACC is doing it is it's the top two teams in the conference. There are no divisions. So more than likely, it will be Notre Dame and Clemson, as Notre Dame is playing in the ACC this year, as the top two teams. So you got to think, if Clemson loses this week to Notre Dame, they're going to have another chance to beat uh, Notre Dame at the end of the season in the championship. So I I hate to ask for predictions, but I want to get predictions from you two. Uh, if Notre Dame's ever going to beat this Clemson team, they're going to beat them without Trevor Lawrence. Uh, but I don't think it's going to happen. But, uh, but I do think we're going to see this game twice. I just think Clemson beats them twice. Yeah, I'm the same boat. The Clemson has enough talent. They realize – what they can and can't do without Trevor Lawrence. They figure it out. They figure it out in the fourth quarter against Boston College. Notre Dame's a good defensive team, but I think they they aren't going to score enough points on the Clemson defense. Okay. Uh, I, I like those picks. Um, I, I kind of agree. I, if Notre Dame is not going to be Clemson when Trevor Lawrence is healthy, I, I don't love Notre Dame personally, but they've played well this season, 31-13 to this week against Georgia Tech. Uh, a good win on the road, you know, any ro- any road win on the ACC is good, but I will probably pick Clemson as well. But if you're Clemson, 
what does this do if you lose this game because all of a sudden you're in a vulnerable position a vulnerable position that you haven't been in since the Trevor Lawrence era. I mean, you lost a game without your starting quarterback. I mean, it's like they're fine. Move on with your life. Wait yeah. till the wait till December for the rematch. Yeah, what else are you gonna Revenge do? game. Yeah. All right. Extra incentive. Uh, you don't panic. They're honestly you know, not in a win-win because you don't want to like blame because they have the talent to win this game. And I, like I said, I think they're going to open up as the favorite. Um, so like, and obviously, like I keep saying, you never want to lose. But like this is one where you can like, be like, okay, we didn't have Trevor Lawrence. Oh yeah, the number one future number one draft pick in the NFL. Um, so we'll be better with him. Uh, quickly, some notes from the rest of the league before we move on to the UFC. Texas beat Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State was the sixth-ranked team in the country and the only hope left for the Big 12 in the college football playoff. So that is over. West Virginia also beat Kansas State. Kansas State was ranked 16th and had one loss. So maybe if a bunch of weird stuff happened, Kansas State could have also gotten into the playoff. But now they have two losses. That's over. So the Big 12 is going to go another year without a team in the college football playoff, more than likely. Cincinnati moves to 5-0 and in the American Athletic Conference, dominating. Their defense looked good. Their offense was still great. BYU, 7-0, and again, independent league. Um, so they are eligible for the college football playoff. But another scenario where a lot of weird stuff is going to have to happen. But still, BYU and Cincinnati at 5-0, and both legitimate contenders to get into that playoff should weird stuff happen. And in a year like this, anything could happen. In the SEC, what a wild one between Florida and Missouri. Florida won 41-17. It was a blowout uh, in the second half, but the uh, Kyle Trask got assaulted uh, right before the first half ended, and it ended with Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkowitz, the head coach of Missouri, kind of getting into a verbal altercation, and the entire team was on the field right before halftime. Bunch of players were ejected. Dan Mullen was fined $25,000. Florida's got Georgia next week and the biggest game of the season for them and for Georgia so far. I guess Georgia played Alabama, so maybe the second biggest game. But uh, Florida's going to be missing a couple guys at the first half of this, uh, for the first half of the Georgia game. So definitely a, a big blowback for the Gators. But again, a win in the SEC is a win, especially coming off of two weeks not playing because of uh, a COVID outbreak on the team. Also, Dan Mullen wearing the Darth Vader helmet in the postgame presser. All-time moment. Check it out. Dan Mullen has had a weird uh, publicity season, shall we say, the very least. UGA, their defense is so good. They beat Kentucky 14-3 this weekend. Uh, Kentucky got nothing going. Georgia just ran the ball down their throats. Now I'm done praising the Bulldogs, and I'm ready to say this team will win nothing ever if Stetson Bennett continues to be the starting quarterback of that program. He is as middle of the road as they get. I don't know how the hell JT Daniels hasn't even gotten in for one snap to be just he's a five star and he was going to be the starter at USC. I don't get how he hasn't played. Alabama, excuse me, not Alabama. Well, Alabama won 41 to nothing. That's why we're not talking about them. Auburn beat LSU this weekend on the Plains. Huge win for Auburn, the Frauburn Tigers. I was dead wrong about them this week. I thought LSU was going to win big. Bo Nix had a big game, but more importantly, their defense showed up. Two turnovers, that's what happened in the first half, and Auburn's offense dominated LSU in the second half. 
Finley was tragically horrible for LSU at quarterback this year or uh, this game. Miles Brennan's still out with injury, so LSU's in again 20, 20 starters gone. It's uh, from last year's national championship team. It's a completely different team out there. Definitely a rebuilding year for Coach O and the Tigers. That was sixty seconds down south. I'm out of breath. Let's move on to UFC. Yeah, big weekend in the UFC. If you're a longtime fight fan, Anderson Silva stepped into the octagon for the final time against Uriah Hall. It ended like most UFC champions and their careers. Um, he got knocked out by uh, Uriah Hall, so it was kind of it was kind of bittersweet to see that like kind of passing of the guard moment for Anderson Silva. He was 45 years old, so it was kind of it kind of felt like they were feeding him to a killer there, but. Uh, you know, it, any warrior goes out on his sword, so it was, it was kind of cool to see Anderson Silva's final fight. Um, but Uriah Hall looked really good. Took, took I wouldn't say that. Uriah Hall looked decent. Took him a little while to get going, but uh, once he let the hands fly, uh, Silva has no chin left. And so. Yeah, the fight, I didn't watch the fight personally. I watched some highlights. But for me, I wasn't really a UFC fan for a while, but I know the impact Anderson Silva's had on the sport. So to see Uriah Hall after the fight, pretty much praising him, saying that Silva was his idol. That's just a feel-good story there. And, and the fight was cool, but that was the bigger story. Mm-hmm. I agree. And then Bryce Mitchell was the co-main event on this fight. He taught, fought Andre Feely. I love Bryce Mitchell. I've been quoted on this podcast saying that I will never miss another Bryce Mitchell fight. I've been quoted on my new podcast, Friday Fight Talk, that I do with my younger brother. We talk about fights um, from a gambling perspective and stuff like that. We both love Mitchell this weekend. He won again, so he's rising up uh, the contender series or the, the contender towards contendership. Um, Greg Hardy, for the football fans out here, I know we turned into a pretty much football podcast. None of all the other sports have ended but Greg Hardy is now a UFC fighter he fought at heavyweight this weekend and looked really really good uh knocked out um Maurice Green and then Kevin Holland from Dana White's contender series uh continued his win streak he's got four wins this year first fighter to four wins in the UFC and uh continues to climb at 185 and so uh exciting weekend for fights um we got a bunch more coming up this weekend and so uh yeah never stops yeah and Adesanya and oh, yeah. Kevin, oh, my God. I completely yeah. forgot. Yeah. And Israel Adesanya, um, for, for whatever reason, it's announced that Robert Whitaker um, comes out and says that, like, if he gets the title shot, he'll take it, but he's not going to campaign for it, which is really weird. It's his personality. Yeah, I know. But it, so if you come out and you just say, that title shot's mine, I'm coming after you, then Dana White books the rematch. He already said he was interested in doing it. But Whitaker came out and was like, eh, I, like, if it's given to me, I'll do it. And so Dana and Israel talked this week, and it was announced on Saturday night or Sunday morning or whatever it was that Izzy's moving up to 205 and he's going to take on Jan Blachowicz for the light heavyweight title. So that was ridiculously huge news. That's a splash that changes everything in the UFC. Adesanya has the chance to be double champ. We know the short list of names who have done that. That's McGregor, Cejudo, Daniel Cormier, uh, and I believe Amanda Nunes. Yep. Um, and so like, if you're a fan of the UFC and you didn't, like, yeah, uh, you're going to want to keep an eye on when that one's scheduled for because that is gigantic news. World Series. I know uh, it's been final for about a week now, but it, it happened after last week's podcast. So for those of you that live under a rock, the Dodgers won the World Series four games to two. Uh, pretty dominating performance in game six. But we don't need to recap because you've watched SportsCenter 100 times since then. What we do want to talk about quickly is Justin Turner testing positive for COVID in the sixth inning of that game, being pulled from a test that came back inconclusive the day before, and the Dodgers and Major League Baseball still let him go back out there. 
pretty weird that it happened in the sixth game of the World Series, Keys. Yeah, um, it just it's it's always just fishy. Like you're supposed to have this super strict testing policy, but you let the guy play, and then you find out that he tests positive in the sixth inning, so you remove him from the game. But then he like ends up back on the field for the celebration, and so, but he like it's not like he didn't spend the last five games or whatever and days with his teammates on the bench high fiving, right. you know, like doing whatever. Like it's not like he wasn't in close contact with his teammates. Like, like uh, you, I won't believe that, and so. To sit there and say that, like, they didn't know until the sixth inning, then they pulled him, and then they're going to blame Justin Turner and launch this whole investigation about how – it was just, like, just an, another feather in the cap of how poorly Manfred has handled this season. Yes, but at the same time, like you just said, he was with the teammates already. So I think from the MLB perspective, they just hope this test came back after this game, honestly, and just say, well, it's over now. We just got the results and, and go from there. The interesting thing for me is I wonder what would have happened if – the Rays won game six because yeah. then you just pause the series. You build up game seven, I guess, for another week and then go from there. That would have been an unbelievable sports moment. Yeah, that's I can't even think about what you would do. with. I mean, that, that's insane. I can't believe Brad Loomis' Dodgers yeah. robbed us of that sports moment. Yeah, that would have been that would have been nuts. Um, well, with, well, that situation will obviously be developing in the next week or two, so we will keep you updated with that. Uh, that's all we got this week. Let's move to segments, and then we'll wrap up. We'll start with good week, bad week. Keys, why don't you lead us off on that? Uh, so my good week is Russell Wilson's MVP campaign. Obviously, we we beat it to death a little bit, but he looked phenomenal again. Um, so, yeah, that was my good week. My bad week was uh, Anderson Silva's UFC career. Sadly, comes to an end. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but, uh, I mean, if you wanted to see him compete in the octagon again, you're just not going to do that anymore, so... Good week, NFL underdogs, and it's been a good season for NFL underdogs. Listen to this. Underdogs, according to Odd Shark, are covering the spread at the fourth highest rate in NFL history through the first eight weeks. And on Sunday, the underdogs were 9-4 and four against the spread. So keep that in mind for all those gamblers out there. Bad week, we didn't talk about this in the Bears game, but obviously Javon Wims punched C.J. Gardner-Johnson after Johnson pulled his mouthpiece out and apparently spit on him. News just came out a couple of hours ago that Wims will be suspended for two games, but realistically, as a Bears fan, let go of him. No distraction. Yeah. There's no reason to keep this guy. It's not like he's a star on this team. Um, my good week is going to be Indiana football. If you are a Hoosier fan, not the school, but the state, Indiana is 2 IU is 2-0. Purdue is 2-0. Notre Dame is 6-0. The Colts won last week 41-21. They're 5-2. and two. It's a great time to be a state of Indiana football fan. Bad week, obviously, Trevor Lawrence testing positive for COVID. So bad week for Clemson's program. Um, you know, it sucks not having your best player Could out have been there. a worse week for them. True. Could have, could have come off the loss. But um, I'll move directly into why I love sports this week. Doug, I really hope I'm not stealing this you from are. you. I know you're going to. Okay, sorry. I thought <laughs> when I wrote it down, I thought I would. Um, I'll mention it briefly. I'll let you talk about it. John Lester is probably going to be yeah. leaving the Chicago Cubs this offseason. Uh, spent forty-seven grand on beer for the people of Chicago. Uh, all-time move. Great guy. Doug, what does he mean to you? It means a lot. He pretty much was the main piece that got this ball rolling for this Cubs organization once they signed him. They kept on building, and, and it went, obviously, for a 2016 World Series, by the way, four years ago today. Keep that in mind. Also, just another note about it. You said the money 
that he spent for this, that's all cool. But a cool thing for me is 34% gratitude tip for the waitresses and waiters. Yeah, so, almost 16, or more than $16,000 in gratuity. So That's his number, so that's very cool. Hats off to John Lester. Yeah, I, I mean, I know how much you love John Lester and how much he means to you, and obviously John John Lester means a whole lot to me as well. And so I, just a super, super cool thing he did for the city of Chicago, and that was really cool. Um, why I love sports this week was kind of bittersweet, but Dustin Pedroia's career ended. Um, him and the Red Sox mutually decided that um, they would end the rest of his contract and he would retire. Uh, that was the guy I idolized growing up. Um, he played second base. I played middle infield. Um, so, yeah, just going back and kind of getting to think about Pedroia's career and, like, what he meant to me was cool. So that's why I was supposed to see. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Be sure to tune in next time for another Sideline Report. I was walking down the street when out the corner of my eye I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, i never seen a man who looks so